Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 213. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very happy to be bringing you an interview that I promised in last week's episode with Christine Forner. Christine Forner is a clinical social worker who has been in the healing profession in one form or another since the age of 16 when she worked on a crisis line for teens. Christine spent the first part of her career in the front lines working at local sexual assault centers, long-term therapeutic settings, and shelters for domestic violence survivors. Since 2011, Christine has had her own private practice specializing in complex trauma and dissociative disorders. She has over 30 years experience working with individuals who have trauma, PTSD, traumatic dissociation, developmental trauma, and dissociative disorders, and has specialized training in EMDR, sensory motor psychotherapy, psychotherapeutic meditation techniques, neurofeedback, and havening. Christine is also the current clinical supervisor for Waypoints, a center in Alberta, Canada, specializing in sexual assault and domestic violence. She also teaches locally and internationally on the issue of dissociation, complex trauma, and the intersection of dissociation and mindfulness. She's the current president for the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation in 2019, and she has also served on the board of ISSTD since 2010. She's the author of Dissociation, Mindfulness, and Creative Meditations, Trauma-Informed Practices to Facilitate Growth. I think you are going to find this conversation very interesting, especially after listening to our dissociation compilation episode. I hope that you will find it interesting and stay tuned because at the end of today's episode, I'll be sharing with you some news about a subject that she discusses in this episode. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. 
If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I am very honored to be interviewing Christine Forner. Christine, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I am very honored to have you because you are an incredibly knowledgeable person and the president of the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, ISSTD, an organization that I highly respect. So I can't wait to talk with you about dissociation today. I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) I think any chance I have to talk about this particular area of humanity is very welcomed, wanted, and needed. So thank you. Yeah. So if you don't mind, let's just take a minute for you to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and your work. So I am, as, as you said, I am the current ISSTD president. I've been on the board in one form or another for the last 10 years. I was the treasurer for a very long time. So I have been able to witness and be part of the growth of the organization. On the other side, I am a clinician. I'm working out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I've been working with traumatized individuals for all of my career. I worked at a sexual assault center when I first um, uh, got a diploma in social work. I also received a degree in women's studies, another degree in social work, and my master's in social work. And throughout of that, I've always worked at women's shelters or sexual assault centers. And I started working in private practice, or I started working in long-term therapy in 1998. And my very first client had multiplicity. And then um, I've been in private practice since 2011, where I would say at any given moment, I'm probably working with 10 to 15 multiples at any given time. And I have for the last 20 years. Wonderful. And thank you for your work, all of it, because it's so needed. And the thing that shocks me is how even as trauma is becoming more well-known and more something that everybody in in grad school who becomes a therapist at least hears about, they may not learn about it in depth, but dissociation just really still is not in the mainstream of people's awareness. And, and many therapists believe that dissociation just isn't very common or isn't even well, real at all. Right. And I think, I think there's so many concerns with that. One, I think it's a misunderstanding of what dissociation is. Two, there was an intentional campaign for people not to know this. And the people who were in charge of that intentional campaign, many of them we now know today have been either accused or been found guilty of child sexual abuse. So there there was a very intentional purpose for people not to know about dissociation because it cracks open a criminality. It cracks open the commonality of child sexual abuse. So I think a lot of people don't quite understand that if they don't understand, if they, if they're not taught about dissociation, they're following an agenda of people who really don't want you to know. And it has nothing to do with the facts of the, of the situation. The facts of the situation is that dissociation is undeniably through, we know this through scientific rigor. We know this through scientific 
reliability and validity, the dissociation is a thing. It comes in a variety of shades and colors. It's part of our neurobiological defense system. So every human has the capacity to do this because it isn't just part of our fight flight, but we also have the freeze. And that freeze system is stronger than the fight flight system. And it also is something that that children tend to need to use more than adults because children can't run away and they can't fight very much because their little tiny bodies don't know how to do that or are incapable of doing that. So dissociation is the place that most children go to in a variety of forms of dissociation. So I think lack of education and lack of just common sense is missing. Can you give our audience a little more information about when you say that there was a campaign, intentional effort to suppress the truth about dissociation, when when was that and what was happening there? So most people are very familiar with the notion of false memory syndrome. It's in a lot of textbooks. So obviously people assume that if it's in a textbook, it's true. But what we have been able to discover is that the information, the false memory syndrome isn't actually a syndrome. It's a group of people. It's the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. Um, the foundation is nowhere near as strong as it was back in the 90s. And, and in many ways, I really don't really like talking about them because I don't want to give them more attention than they already try to require. But basically, in the 90s, a group of people got together with a significant budget, a budget way bigger than we have ever had in our society. These are media savvy people. The There is the information, and I'm not 100% factual, but there there is the information out there that they started with a $7 million budget. And they did a media campaign. So they took that money and went to various media sources and threw out their their two cents of information or their opinions. It was never based on facts. And they also bought themselves into textbooks. And if you take a look at who's writing most of the information on textbooks, it is people who are from the false memory group who are writing about dissociation in the textbooks. It's not experts on dissociation writing about dissociation in textbooks. That's changing a little. Bethany Brand is really one of the leaders behind that that movement of changing the information that's in textbooks. But there is an there is a campaign for people not to know. There is a there was a smear campaign that was highly successful. And us as therapists, we're busy trying to just manage people in our offices. And many of us don't have that media background. Many of us aren't really trying to go out of our ways to protect what we're doing because we don't need to. We don't think that way. We're not trying to cover up our criminal acts. We're just trying to help what we're doing. And we were they were battling against people who were very intentionally trying to cover up criminal acts. Wow. So I know that I certainly have heard. I, I came on the scene in the early 2000s and got my master's in 2010. So, but when I was, you know, growing up and a young adult, I heard about stories of horrible ritualistic abuse and, you know, huge numbers of children being abused seemingly systematically. And then the news began to say that it was all untrue. And I think that's lingered so much in the cultural, it's like, it seems more, acceptable to people to believe that children lie about being abused than to believe that, you know, groups and institutions can work together to systematically abuse children. Well, this this goes through veins of, of patriarchy and veins of misogyny. 
Mm. The, the, the notion that children are making this stuff up, but then it's also the objectification of people, the sexual objectification of people that, that, that we just sort of generally believe that children could even come up and fathom what, with adult, what adult human sexuality would look like, be like, and seem like objectifies that child. It is not in a child's consciousness about adult sexuality at all. Right. They don't understand the mechanics of it and their body doesn't, doesn't go there. It might go there as a young teenager, but they, it, it doesn't even, like it's just sort of this blanket piece of knowledge that these kids can come up and invent some type of sexual abuse, even when they're led to that information is impossible almost. Mm. Children do not understand the mechanics of human sexual of adult human sexuality because they're not sexual at, at, at a young age. The whole notion of reproduction isn't clicking in yet. And so, so children can't go there. So in our world, when we sort of mythologize and pathologize this notion of, of anything that has to do with sex driving anything is an objectification of that person. So we live in such a misogynistic world that it's just sort of like, okay, that's what we do, but that's not what we do. Children don't invent this kind of stuff. It is much easier, really, when you think about the adults who are doing this. And when you take a look at the number of statistics when it comes to child pornography and child sex trafficking, child sex trafficking is the number one growing illegal business in the United States and and likely Canada as well. I haven't heard the statistics for Canada, but, you know, particularly since marijuana has been legalized in Canada, they no longer, a lot of these criminal organizations lost a major revenue stream. So that revenue stream is being, the slack is being picked up by sex trafficking. We, so we know that this is happening on a major mass level by the amount of arrests that we, we do with people who are transferring child pornography. How are they doing this? Well, they are doing this right under everybody's noses, knowing that there has been a very concerted effort for their criminal activity to not be believed. We're talking about criminals and psychopaths. These people really are working very hard for us not to know and for us to question the reality of it. Yeah, there's definitely something wrong when we would rather believe that children lie about that than to face the harm that is done to children. And it's not only to little children, but the the abuse that goes on. And I I started out in a sexual assault crisis center, too. And that's where I first encountered dissociation is working with adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse, who many of whom were extremely, extremely dissociative. And then well, they go hand, right? Like, so dissociation, when a human being is being sexually assaulted, I suspect, and I think because I don't have the capacity to sort of tease this out with 100% fact, but, you know, working with sexual assault survivors for 30 years and speaking with hundreds of them, I'm also a sensory motor psychotherapist, so I'm a somatic, I work somatically. I don't really necessarily work with the thoughts of people mm -hmm. having, it's going in and working with the body-based. It's very comparable to being eaten. It's very comparable to, to predation of being like attacked by a tiger. You are terrified, you are paralyzed, you cannot move, and you are being penetrated, just like a, a fang would be, just like teeth would be. And the human body responds to that type of predation with dissociation only. When you get in that close to a predator, 
there is certain things inside the body that um, want it to play dead, want it to not connect the dots in order to survive. So sexual assault and dissociation, they go together always. Whether that dissociation becomes disordered or not, whether it becomes a consistent way of being, that incident is going to have dissociation running through it. I think there's way too little understanding, especially considering how common sexual assault and sexual abuse is. It seems, you know, it's just normal. It's just a normal part of our culture, but we still think it's like this strange thing that sometimes happens. And I don't mean that it's normal as in it's okay. But it's normal in right. that it's just it happens one, to so many people. One in three women and one in five males is, is the general consistent statistic. And that has been consistent since the 80s. Right. So if you just sit and you're like on a bus or in your public transit, you're walking along the street, just start counting every third person, every fifth male, every third female. It's massive. And so for people to say that I didn't do this versus people saying this happened to me, statistically, the odds of that person being an abuser is really high. The odds of that person being sexually assaulted is really high. And we also know that only about two to five percent of all allegations are false. But when you take a look at people who are making the false allegations, they do actually follow, a, there's, there's a, there are characteristics and traits of people who do false allegations. And with somebody who's educated enough, you can tell the difference between someone who is making a false allegation as a weapon versus somebody who is attempting to find some type of peace, safe and justice. Yeah. Everyone I've talked to who's been sexually assaulted or sexually abused did not want it to be true that it happened. So it wasn't something that they enjoyed saying they went through. And then you also have all the dissociative pieces inside. Dissociation intentionally scatters. So there's there's body brain structures that are scattering the information so it doesn't get absorbed together in order to keep us alive. It's it's numbed out. It's it's dissociated out. So it 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 can be pretty jumbled. And if you don't have that kind of information and the world is telling you that it didn't happen, that's a lot of gaslighting. And gaslighting is a very hard thing to weave through and to really understand your own self if you can't rely on your sensations and your feelings and dissociation with sensations and feelings they're either removed or scattered or sporadic and it's not terribly clear so the gaslighting can be like you you kind of follow the gaslighting because we're a social creature that follows what each other's saying and so it's 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 it there's ways that it may not they might not be as confident when they're talking as a perpetrator is a perpetrator might be super confident and it's that confidence that's getting confused it's 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 their confidence when a perpetrator says no this didn't happen and a, and a survivor's like i don't really know mm-hmm. chances are the person who says i don't really know there's truth in that and the the person who's super confident that it didn't happen it's almost like thou dost protest too much mhm There's too much confidence in it. And judges don't know how to differentiate this. Lawyers don't know how to differentiate this. Police don't know. Yeah, detectives don't know how to differentiate the wobbliness versus the confidence. And that the confidence actually makes it more susceptible that 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 actually might be. So it's it's um, dissociation is an inside out, upside down world that really people need to be trained and educated on because it's going to be the thing that is preventing people from getting help. But it's also going to be the thing that prevents you from doing an effective job as a therapist. It, it probably is the thing that usurps all good therapy. Therapist, we've all had that moment. 
You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Yeah, so that's one of the things that I think is so important is that we don't learn about dissociation in school. And even most trauma training programs, it's it's hardly mentioned. I, I have on, I've done level two of sensory motor psychotherapy, so not level three, but the first two levels. And we learned a lot about dissociation there. And I've learned to recognize it much more easily than I did before before I took that training. Yeah. But you and I were talking before we officially started recording about how you were saying that manualized interventions aren't effective with dissociation. So can you talk about that a little bit? Well, they're not effective at all because a manualized intervention is really more about the therapist than it is about the client. It's, it's, it's designed to appease the therapist's concerns and worries. It's not designed to help the person. Plus, it's like so off-label use. There's only a very few people that actually participate in these studies. Mm-hmm. And those people are pretty pure in what's bothering them. They, they're quite well. Right. So if CBT is used for somebody who's not well, that's an off-label use. And you don't know the effect of an off-label use. So for with dissociation, because it's, it is fundamentally a relational injury, it's an injury of human-to-human harm. And the only way to repair human-to-human harm is care. The body is expressing something that it wants or needs assistance with. That's the, all the affect. That's the only reason we have emotion or affect is c- to communicate our internal world. And in, it, it's our first form of language. And when, it, when you have a manualized intervention that that is really working hard to shut down all emotion you're shutting down the fundamental primary thing that makes a human a human and that primary fundamental feelings and sensations that make a human a human those are the things that are telling our truths they are the ones that have our standard of care our biomechanical human standard of care If things don't bug us, they don't bug us. If they bug us, there's a need for us inside. And those manualized interventions do not include any of this. Yeah, I I agree with you so much there. And I've always thought when I was being trained in grad school about evidence-based practices that when you would look at who was excluded from the study, it would be anyone who had had more than one traumatic experience. It's like, oh, okay, so... That's not any of my clients. I mean, I've I've seen few people who only have had one traumatic experience in their whole lives. Most of the time, it's multiple, you know? Yeah. 
and that and you know people who've only had one traumatic experience when you help them look at a different perspective or you bring in a different view because they're embodied because they 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 do already have a capacity to manage their own emotions it's effective because the mind and the body are supposed to be equal members at the table actually and when you have no representation from the body and just the mind a lot of people use thinking as a way to avoid feeling and sensing. And when you when you just stick on thinking and trying to change your thoughts, a lot of times it's reenactment of the same event that happened in the first place. An injury that is not being seen and not being heard and not just not being seen, but willfully not being seen. And it, and it just it doesn't it doesn't help as much as it as as doing other things could or should. Yeah. When you say it's a reenactment, it's the, you know, what I was thinking of is you're suppressing the emotion. So you're disconnecting from it. That's dissociating, right? It is. So how does ISSTD help with changing things regarding dissociation? So God, it's the little, it's the little engine that could, you know, <laughs> we have been like, you know, in the nineties, the false memory syndrome people, they actually protested our conferences and they went really, they aggressively attacked us and they aggressively started attacking therapists in particular. And a group of people with threat to their own careers, with threat to their own livelihoods, plugged on through. And people kept doing the research and people kept doing the information gathering. And because there's so much scrutiny and because there's so much like bold rejection of the information. The dissociative field has done a really amazing job of having really good foundational science on what is dissociation. We still don't exactly know like the specifics of what creates it, but we we know enough about it of what it is and how to treat it. So the ISSTD has been able to amass this massive amount of research information along with clinical information the ISSTD's goal is to support clinicians and help clinicians with solid, solid research on how to do best practices. So the ISSTD will offer information on what it is, how it is, and consistent different avenues to explore and understand and eventually treat complex trauma and dissociation. And I think because it has been so riddled with challenges that it's a very strong organization. The other thing is, is that it hasn't lost its heart. It isn't just a scientific organization that is stuck in this weird evidence-based that is really hard to prove, period. It's almost impossible to do ethical experiments with really complex traumatized people. Mm -hmm. with the field of, of the ISSTD, we have amassed such a, an enormous amount of information that we really are very, I guess, as much as you can say, this is what it is and this is how to treat it more than any other illness or more than any other area of 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 the DSM or the mental illness. Dissociation, because it's had to prove itself so much, what it's proven and is pretty solid and sound more than any other area. A lot of things will come and go. I think ADHD is going to come and go. I think a lot of things are going to come and go. Um, a lot of diagnosis has come and go. But dissociation has been pretty consistently around for 150 years, and it'll be around for a long, long time because it's part of the human structure, part of our human anatomy. It's part of our human neurobiology. It's part of the human package. 
Yeah. So when you and I were talking earlier, you were saying that it is a natural part of us, but it's not our intended normal state of being for us to be dissociative in terms of like biologically. No, we, there's brain structures that are really designed to be very, very peaceful with other people and within ourselves. These brain structures take quite a bit to grow and they're super sensitive to stress. So they don't work. They're either turned off. The information's either, the the brain structures are either turned off when we're in fight, flight, those active defenses, or the information gets cut off so it can't go up to the front brain when we're in a state of inactive defense or the dissociative area. Those brain structures inside of us that are designed to be compassionate and empathetic and attuned to ourselves and others really gives evidence that we're not meant to be a violent species. We're violent because there's not enough foundation in the safety and security of raising our young. If children are born in safe and secure environments and that safe and secure environment is fostered throughout a lifetime, that human being may dissociate only sporadically during small moments of terror. But because we have so many problems of not being able to stay home with kids, terrible, there's not a lot of great places for childcare, poverty, racism, sexism, misogyny, all of these things produce a dissociated culture. And we live in a highly dissociated culture, but it's not where we're supposed to be. It's very toxic. It's very corrosive. It's living in a dissociated culture plays a major role in in how sick we are and the, the drain that we have on any medical system. You know, most people like uh, to run healthcare system in Canada costs a lot of money, but that's because a lot of people are sick and they're sick because there are so many cultures that make it really, really challenging to be able to take care of our young. So it, like, we're just not supposed to be here. So we went off course about six, ten to 6,000 years ago, and we're having trouble getting back to how we're supposed to be organically. Mm. So what can we... I guess, both as clinicians who are listening to this and we <laughs> culturally, what can we do differently to get back to where we're supposed to be? Well, education, of uh, like training oneself and being educated, like like understanding if you're in any an clinical setting in any way, shape or form, any medical, psych- psychiatric form in any shape or form, if anybody dismisses dissociation having an education like by by just even saying like i'm sure there are lots of doctors and psychiatrists that if you were to inform them the history of the false memory syndrome foundation and that the fact that they were told by somebody this isn't good and that's why they were told i i I think a lot of doctors are well-intentioned and they'll go oh wait a minute you mean i'm i'm fostering a rhetoric that isn't true that actually protects people who are hurting children. I think if a lot of people understood that that's what they were doing, they would stop doing that. So education is super important. Company is super important. You are not alone in this field. There are so many amazing people who are just an email away or a phone call away who are more than willing to help you, support you. The ISSTD is one of the most heartfelt organizations that I have ever run across. And you can go to any conference and talk to anybody who is there whose paper you have written. They're not unapproachable people. And they, because I think we're all sort of in this together. So the support is there. The training is there. The common sense of this, instead of vilifying dissociation, we need to start vilifying psychopathy and understanding that anything that promotes lack of emotion or no emotion, like the man code, 
promotes psychopathy, promotes not connecting to human beings and understanding that that's not how we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be like separate individuals. We are supposed to be working with each other and understanding each other. And as a therapist in this field, knowing that you're bringing not with you, just not only with you, your mind, your heart, the theories and the, and the, and the tools, but it's Carl, I think it's Carl Rogers that said, you know, know all the theories, know all the, the manual, like all the mechanisms, but show up soul to soul. And the ISSTD really still promotes soul to soul, which I find is so beautiful in many, many ways. So knowing that you're not alone is very, very helpful. Knowing that there's tons of education and support for you and understanding that people get better, that this is not a life sentence. This isn't like something like diabetes. Once you have it, you have it that it isn't genetically driven, that it's environmentally driven, it's relationally driven. And knowing that that you can work with a human being who can, at the beginning of therapy, is super suffering. But if you learn how to sit with it and you learn uh, ways of managing it, that human being can find a place where they're not suffering. And as a matter of fact, in my experience, they tend to shine brighter than most because they sort of become really courageous and very brave and and they understand the true meaning of of being alive really fosters around love and care and it's a beautiful thing to witness and the more you witness that you get the less you get bogged down in the intensity of this world and you start getting impassioned by the possibilities of this world Mm, yes and and working with people who've been through unfathomable experiences you know just life threats that nobody would want to think about going through, but they've been through them. It's, it's so inspiring. I mean, humbling. It's, I don't even, the words are inadequate, but just to see the way people can heal and thrive is just so beautiful. Uh, You know, it, it, it takes me back to, you have someone with multiplicity coming into your office desperately seeking assistance and they show up week after week, week after week, week after week to these brutal, like, you know, brutal, brutal, painful sessions week after week, week after week, week after week. And slowly they begin to heal and slowly they begin to to feel better. And it's typically near the end that they can actually, that's when they can look back and go, Oh my God, look at this, what I did for myself. Mm -hmm. I, went through that for me and they could start to see what a loving kind act that is and that self-love that self-wonderment if your clients can get to that place of self-wonderment it eradicates so much shame when you start to realize holy smokes what i'm willing to do to be okay in this world and they start to grain they 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 start to understand the strength of who they are mm-hmm. and it's just i wish more people could see it because Every day I get reminded of our potential, of what a miraculous creature we actually are. But we cannot let psychopathy rule. We have to stop believing that people who concern themselves with the fiscal responsibility is a better leader than a leader that pays attention to the, to the mother, to the father, to the child. The humanity. To the humanity. That's correct. Christine, I'm so grateful for you and what you're doing and leading ISSTD, what ISSTD is doing. And and to you for being on this podcast today. This has been a really fascinating conversation. 
Yeah, thank you. Anytime. And it's it's not just me. Most of the people who are involved in the ISSTD are more than happy and willing and wanting to talk about this stuff. Because the more we talk about it, the less frightened we become, the less um, vilifying it is, the more we start to realize that us humans, we're amazing if we're given the right conditions. And we're not so amazing given the wrong conditions. So, so thank you for having me. Yes, yes. And how... Can people get in touch with you? I know you have a book called Dissociation, Mindfulness and Creative Meditations that I'm very curious about. And I'm sure what you're doing yourself, many people may want to get in touch with you, but also ISSTD. I'm reachable both through ISSTD. Most messages get forwarded to me or I'm available through email. It's not hard to find me. If you Google Christine and dissociation, you're going to get me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, you might actually get Christine Cotois as well. <laughs> but so like I'm available through email, sending me an email. I'm a little slow these days as we're trying to wrap things up this year of my presidency. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking some ventures down to New Zealand and stuff. But I will get back to you and I will. I'm more than happy to speak with anybody or guide them or direct them in, in where to go or what to do or how to start with this or that kind of stuff. Wonderful. Thank you. And I'll be sure to put a link to ISSCD in the show notes so that people can, you know, get to you that way and get to ISSTD as well. Wonderful. I hope you found my conversation with Christine Forner to be interesting. I proudly support ISSTD through my membership, and it's been extremely worthwhile for me as a clinician, to be a part of that organization for several years now. One topic that Christine mentioned, which really caught me by surprise, was the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. I really had not heard of them before our conversation. And afterwards, I learned that the organization was created by two people, a husband and wife, whose daughter accused the husband of sexually abusing her, which led to creating this foundation. And that's just really strange, quite suspicious to me. But they actually dissolved the foundation just a few weeks ago on December 31st, 2019. So as of the time we were talking, Christine and I, uh, the organization was still going, maybe not very very much thriving, but it was still in existence and now they have closed. So that is definitely a good thing. Thank you so much as always for listening to Therapy Chat. I hope you learned something. And if you would like to share your feedback about this episode, please get in touch with me through the SpeakPipe app on therapychatpodcast.com or you can simply send me an email to therapychat dot podcast at gmail.com. As always, I appreciate your support. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of five stars on Trustpilot and has a five-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com.
Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, therapy chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.